This audio is from the Axis Church and is from our sermon series, The Gospel of Matthew, Following the Unexpected King. For more information about the Axis Church or its mission in Nashville, Tennessee, go to theaxischurch.org. Divorce has become uh, commonplace and pretty normal in our society. I would say that most of us have, have been affected by divorce in one way or another, um, whether that be a, a personal experience, whether that be your parents or your friends or your brother or sister or your neighbor. Um, it's just so common that, that probably all of us would say we've been affected by this in some way, in one way or another. And so the words of Jesus in this text, um, they bring a kind of an uncomfortable silence, even as we just read these two verses. It's kind of like, oh, that's, is that it? Like, we talking about something else? Um, and so we, we quickly want to move on to the next subject. And trust me, I, I'm ready to move on to the next subject as well. Um, but this is what happens when you preach through the Bible and you believe every word of the Bible is inspired and God-given and given for our good. And so while the, while the beauty of, of God's plan for marriage is plainly laid out in the Bible and in the Scripture, and many of us long for the, for the intimacy and the, the love that can only be found in a biblical and faithful marriage, and some of us are already experiencing that, the, the sad reality is, is that Marriage relationships are often broken and fall short of the biblical ideal. That's, that's stating the obvious, but marriage isn't what it's supposed to be. And so the world, the world has many things to say about divorce and remarriage. There are books, you can look on Amazon, there are books about healthy divorces and good divorces and creative divorces. Today, every state in the United States has what we call no-fault divorce. And what that essentially means is that when marriage partners mutually agree that they no longer feel that the marriage is worth continuing, a no-fault divorce will just allow them to just end the marriage. And so all you basically have to do is say that, you know, we have irreconcilable differences and this isn't really worth continuing and you will be granted a divorce. And what we're going to find is that this is very similar to some of the views in Jesus' day even. And as we're studying through the book of Matthew, uh, what we've seen is that Jesus has some things to teach us in the past several weeks about anger and about lust. And the discussion of lust and adultery naturally leads us this week to Jesus teaching us in regards to divorce and remarriage specifically. Because the world speaks so loudly, we all need the mind of Christ here. And I think we're going to see that Jesus is doing more than just giving, some, giving us like a list of do's and don'ts about not divorcing. And he has, a, he has a bigger concern and a bigger purpose in mind here. Jesus is essentially in the, in the Sermon on the Mount here in these chapters teaching us what the kingdom looks like. And he's telling his disciples how they should live and function within the kingdom. 
He's told us already that our righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, the the moral and religious teachers of the day. And so Jesus and Matthew, by extension, because he's written this and recorded this for us, they think this subject is so important that they... He's written it into the the largest body of teaching that we have written for us from Jesus. And so I think that calls us to look to see what Jesus has to say and what he has to teach us and be informed by the words of Jesus this morning. And so in verse 31, we read, Jesus says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. And so Jesus is, in the past few weeks, we've seen that Jesus' statements regarding anger and lust, they were basically both based on a quotation from the Old Testament. And he introduces that quotation by saying, you've heard that it was said. And then what Jesus does is he corrects the misunderstandings and the misinterpretation and the misuses of those Old Testament texts that was being... um, taught in Jesus' day. And so what he does is goes back and he, he proclaims to them the original intention of the text. And he tells us what the kingdom of God should look like and how we should live as kingdom citizens. And in verse 31, we see the same thing happening. And this passage, is a, it's a reference to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Um, we're not going to read it. But what Jesus is doing is, is clarifying some debate and some teaching about this passage that had arisen in his day. And essentially, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, what it is is a, essentially a, a hypothetical what-if situation. And so if this happens and this happens and this happens, then there's a command. And so the conclusion in verse 4 is basically when a woman is officially divorced from one man and remarries another... And then that marriage ends. The command is she can't go back to her original husband. That's, that's the simple, plain teaching of the passage in Deuteronomy, in, these, in these, all these laws that, that is given by Moses. And so why, why in the world does Jesus bring this up here? And it's basically because these religious schools of Jesus' day had divided on this, and they were giving commandments to people based on their interpretation of this, this passage. And so one school basically said if, if your, your wife is sexually unfaithful, then you're required and commanded to divorce her. And then the other, th- th- that view was not really that popular because it was pretty strict. And then the other view was much more lax, and they essentially said, whatever, if you be, just become dissatisfied with your spouse, then that's grounds for divorce. And so the teachers of Jesus' day are giving commandments. They've written all these laws into place about what's permissible and what's not and and how you do this this divorce thing. And so this is why we read in in Matthew chapter 19, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they test him by, by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? They essentially wanted to know, which, which school do you belong to, Jesus? Which, which teaching, which, which side of the debate are you landing on? And so three things about, just as we get started here, about divorce within Jewish culture. First, 
if a divorce were to take place, there had to be a legal document, a written certificate of divorce given. That's, that's there. That's what is assumed in Deuteronomy. It's what Jesus assumes as well. Secondly, in Jewish culture, women were not typically able to divorce their husbands. And so that's just the way it was. In Roman culture, you could, but in Jewish culture and in Jesus' context, they wouldn't have ever thought that that was even possibility. And so third, divorce in, in this context always re- assumed the right to remarry. And because it was very difficult for a woman to, to essentially make it on her own, especially if she'd been married already, it, divorcing a woman always assumed that she could go and remarry and had that right. And so in essence, when we, when we come to this, we see that the Pharisees, the religious teachers of the day, had become very lax on divorce. And the rabbis had de- developed all of these spoken laws and written laws regarding the acceptable grounds and the acceptable reasons that you could divorce your wife. And it's a really, really big list. But just to, just to give you a sample, I just kind of wanted to read a few of the things that, that you could divorce somebody over in Jesus' day. For example, a man could divorce his wife if she became a deaf mute. I don't know how that would happen, but if, if your wife becomes a deaf mute, you can divorce her. If she had a weird-shaped head, you could divorce your wife. If she were cross-eyed, if she had missing teeth, a poor figure, if she were bow-legged, you could divorce your wife. It, certain activities in the home, if she, if she didn't perform these things, if she failed to do the laundry and the dishes, then, I mean, sorry about your luck, but I got to get somebody else who will, will keep up with these things. Moreover, and I think this is fairly humorous, she could be divorced by her husband if she visited the home of her parents. If, if against her husband's wishes, her in-law or his in-laws moved into the city to be near their daughter, and this was against his wishes, he could divorce his wife. If she cursed his, his parents or yelled at him where people outside the house could hear, hear them yelling, I mean, that's, I'm sure we've probably all heard people yelling in their house like, dang, what's going on? Well, if that happened and they heard the wife yelling, he could go and officially divorce his wife over this. If she didn't perf- give him sex enough or if he just simply found somebody who was more attractive that could be grounds for divorce. And it's, this is all kind of like, when you read through this, like this, this is ridiculous, and it's kind of funny at a superficial level, but in reality, this is real. This is what was happening in Jesus' day. And so there were, there were so many broken people, so many broken women over these laws. And I say all this just to point out the obvious. The covenant of marriage had essentially became meaningless to the people, especially to the scribes and the Pharisees who were supposed to be the religious teachers of the day. Like they're supposed to be giving the standard and this is their standard. So they created all these laws based on a passage in the Old Testament that's simply a hypothetical this what-if situation, and they take it and they create all these laws about divorce and remarriage based on this text that was never intended to be used this way. And so what Deuteronomy passage does recognize, what the Old Testament recognizes, is the reality of divorce. But the reasons for acceptable 
divorces was never really given. The passage doesn't command it. And it doesn't really tell us anything more than this hypothetical situation. And the passage is, is ultimately for a protection for the wife in this culture and a warning against divorcing too quickly. And one thing it does tell us is that divorce has serious consequences to both parties. In Matthew chapter 19, we find the Pharisees coming to Jesus, and in this passage, they ask him some questions about divorce, which I think helps really shed light on Matthew chapter 5. So in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 3, it says, The Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? You see, their, their issue is, what are, the, what are the acceptable grounds for divorce, Jesus? And he answered them, but he doesn't really answer them. He says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And therefore, and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And they said to him, then why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Again, they, Moses never commanded this, but this is their assumption. And Jesus said, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you, he permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And so just like the Pharisees were concerned with sidestepping the heart of the issue with, with anger, like, well, we're not murdering anybody. And with lust, well, we're not committing adultery. Jesus, Jesus gets to the heart of the issue here. They want to know what's acceptable, and Jesus says, no, that's, that's not the issue. That shouldn't be your concern. So what Jesus does is show us that divorce was never God's intention for marriage. And Jesus quotes Genesis chapter 2 that reveals God's intention for marriage. Before sin came into the world, this was his intention. One man and one woman in a permanent, lifelong covenant being faithful to one another. It was an exclusive relationship. So much so that the two are joined together and become one flesh. So marriage was God's idea. This is why Jesus says, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And so if you're married today, or if you want to be married, that's, that's not ultimately your idea. Marriage is God's idea. And so Jesus rejects divorce in light of the way God created marriage. We don't, as human beings, under his lordship, do not have the right to separate what God has joined together. But we also know that Genesis 3 is a reality. That sin and brokenness have entered into our world. And marriage relationships are not like they're supposed to be. And so Jesus says the reason God permitted and allowed divorce was because of the hardness of our hearts. Sin wreaks havoc in our marriages. 
The sin in our hearts leads men and women to be sexually unfaithful to their spouse, the one that they promise to be faithful to for life. And it leads to just outright selfishness. And like so many other good things in our world, sinful human beings have corrupted God's good gifts and they break the marriage covenant through our hardness of hearts. And because of this, God gave regulations. He gave stipulations concerning divorce because he he knows our hearts. He knows how sinful we are. And Jesus' concern here is to get back to the original intention for marriage. Not regulating and giving stipulations about what you should do after the marriage has already failed. No, his, his concern is to get back to what is important. What was God's original intention for the marriage relationship? And the religious leaders had created a policy, essentially, which permitted husbands to divorce their wives freely and at their own pleasure, simply by providing them with the proper documentation for a divorce. And so Jesus is addressing this. And so we read in verse 32, But I say to you, that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus is pretty radical here. He goes even beyond the strictest school of his day by saying, divorce isn't commanded. It's at best permitted and only in one case. And so I want to, because the world speaks so loudly all the time, The Bible teaches that divorce was never God's intention for marriage. Divorce is never commanded. It's never instituted in the Bible. God created man and woman to be in a permanent, lifelong, one flesh union. And thus, divorce is always a result of sin. It's a a result of the fall. It's a result of the brokenness of our world. But this does not mean, so don't hear me say, it doesn't mean that every single divorce is always sinful. Jesus does give one exception here. He says, except on the ground of sexual immorality. And so the only situation that Jesus gives in which divorce and remarriage is acceptable and possible even is in the case of sexual immorality. So the only way you don't break the seventh commandment, don't don't commit adultery, is in this, in this one particular case, Jesus says. When the, when the marriage relationship has already been broken by some serious sexual sin, and, and why is it, why is it this, this particular thing that breaks that? When a, when a man and woman are married, they covenant together, right? They promise one another to be faithful, to be in this relationship with one another exclusively and they consummate their marriage physically in sexual union and so that the one flesh imagery becomes a reality and so any sexual sin outside of that covenant outside of that bond of marriage by one or either of the spouses it breaks the one flesh union that exists between husband and wife 
And I know that in, in the room there's a tension here because we will accept on the ground of sexual immorality. So does sexual immorality include this or this? Or, and we become Pharisees so quickly. We want to like, just toe the line and get as close as possible. And that's, that's not the point. So I don't know that it's even helpful to try to, to pinpoint what that means in every single case. The point, is, don't, the point is not to get as close to adultery as possible. We remember last week, gouge out your eyes and cut off your hands. Stay as far away from lust as possible. But what is important is that what Jesus teaches us here is foundational to our understanding of marriage and divorce and remarriage because he takes us back to the original intention of, of God for marriage. The one flesh nature of marriage means that a piece of paper documenting your desire not to be married to your spouse anymore, it doesn't truly dissolve the one flesh union in the eyes of God. God is more concerned with our hearts and a certificate, a piece of paper is man-made, and so that can't just dissolve what God has joined together. And here's, here's what's even more tragic. God not only created marriage to be a permanent, lifelong, one-flesh union of, of intimate relationship between a man and a woman, He ultimately created marriage to point beyond itself to the covenant-keeping love that He has for His people. Marriage tells us something about the way God loves His people and how He's faithful to His people. And so marriage among Christians especially is mainly meant to tell the truth of the gospel. That Christ dies for his bride and that he is faithful to her. And he never breaks his covenant with his people. So we read in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It's Genesis 2 again. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Paul tells us that marriage has always been pointing to the relationship between Christ and his church, between God and his people. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Wives are to submit to their husbands as the church submits to Jesus as the Lord. And so when we look at marriage... It's speaking volumes about Christ and the church. Every marriage relationship is by God's design saying something about the gospel. And so we, we are either lying about the truth of the gospel or we're telling the truth about who Jesus is and how he loves his people. And so sexual unfaithfulness as well is a picture of our sin against God. We see this throughout the Old Testament Christ, our husband, has loved us and pursued us, and we go off and we seek out other lovers and are unfaithful to him. It's a picture of our idolatry and our sinfulness and hardness of heart. And so this is why divorce is so tragic. It lies about Christ and the church. It's not the only thing that lies about the truth of the gospel, but it is one thing that lies about the truth of the gospel. So divorce isn't ultimately about you. It's not ultimately about your marriage. Divorce is the repudiation, the rejection, the denial of a covenant of marriage. And it, it doesn't start anything over. 
It instead defaces the picture that God has embedded into creation to point us to the, to the union and the relationship between Christ and His church. You know, it's the Lord's providence that has me preaching this text. Basically, the sermon calendar kind of got shifted around. So, Jeremy, we for the next year, we have um, who's being, you know, preaching when and that type of thing. And some things got shifted around because we didn't want to preach on lust on Mother's Day. And so, <laughs> we... Uh, I was supposed to preach today, and that's, that's awesome, and so it, text got moved up, and this is the text that I was given. Somebody asked me just this week, like, why do you always get really hard texts when you like, don't preach you know, that often, but that's, that's just the way it is. So the reason I, I come to this text as a, I guess with a heavy heart, is I prayed against this happening, but... Uh, I've experienced a past marriage and relationship that's, that's failed. And so, you know, I was married when I was 19. Um, and after multiple years of marriage, essentially, she decided that she was done and didn't want to be married any longer. And so she admitted to being unfaithful. Um, we were part of a gospel-centered, gospel-believing church at the time. And I did all that I could do to reconcile that. And the church that I was a part of, like the elders walked with me day by day by day. Um, while she continually rejected the counsel of the elders, she rejected their, their call to repent and was ultimately removed. This is a huge deal. Removed from membership as a member of this church as an act of church discipline. And so I, I know what it's like to be lied to and deceived and cheated on and abandoned and divorced by a spouse. Like, I, I know what that, what that is. And so there, there probably aren't many other painful, more painful experiences than that in life. And I could tell you a lot more, but you don't ultimately need my story to serve as guidance for your marriage or future marriage. What you need is a greater story of redemption. Um, what you need and what I need is the gospel. And so, it, and it was through my experience that the gospel of Christ became my greater hope, not the reconciling of a marriage. It became my my rock, not the existence of that marriage or a future marriage or, or anything else. And it became my defense because if you know anybody, like there's a lot of shame and guilt that comes along with that. And so what I, what I learned is that God is good and faithful and sovereign and the gospel is true. You know, one of the things that what kept me from bitterness in that is realizing that the, the unfaithfulness and the rejection that I was experiencing, it's a picture of my heart towards God every day. And I knew that, that marriage was pointing to something bigger, to a greater reality of Christ's unconditional love and pursuit of my heart and my affections, even in and through the breakdown of that marriage. 
So what I ultimately learned was the power of the gospel. God created us and he created marriage to be a good gift. And our sin, our hardness of heart has corrupted and destroyed God's purposes in marriage. We've rejected his design and ultimately we've rejected him as Lord over us. We have hard and rebellious hearts. And that that deserves God's righteous anger and wrath. It deserves hell. But because of God's great love for his people, he sent his son, Jesus, to be the savior of his people. Jesus came and he lived perfectly. He was always faithful. He was always sinless. He never once was unfaithful to the commands of the Father. And he came for the purpose of living faithfully and dying a death that he didn't deserve, but he died it because of our unfaithfulness to him. And on the cross, Jesus takes the wrath that we deserve. He he takes the punishment that we've brought upon ourselves. And he defeated Satan and sin and death through his through his death and through his resurrection. And so he's promised to to come again. He's reigning right now as Lord over my life, over my marriage, over yours. And he tells us now that anyone who will believe and, and trust in him to be their hope, their wrath bearer, and their Lord will be saved. Marriage is designed to remind us of that. Marriage is to be a picture of the covenant-keeping love and intimacy and union that we have with Christ and because of Christ. And the same gospel of which marriage is a picture is the same gospel that has the power to heal and reconcile relationships. It's the same power to give us the freedom to overcome anger and lust. And it's the same power that gives us the freedom to overcome divorce. It's the same power that that frees you from your selfishness and from your your sin and from your just outright blatant rejection of God's good purposes. And it frees us to love our spouses as Christ has loved the church. And it's this gospel that must be preached to ourselves and to each other. And when we realize how much we are loved and forgiven and pursued, we'll be able to extend that same grace and that mercy to each other and to our spouses. And this, this is to be the culture of the kingdom. This is the greater righteousness that Jesus is talking about that empowers his disciples and enables them to preserve marriages that the world would simply dismiss and dissolve. In essence, what Jesus is saying is, you've heard it said that you're permitted to divorce. But I say to you, I have come to conquer the hardness of your heart. I've come to die for your sin. I've come to count you as righteous. I've come to show you what marriage is supposed to be and what that marriage is is pointing you to. I've come to give you the power to stay married or to stay single, 
So either way, you keep your promises and you show what my covenant love is like. So how is this text right here good news for us? How's the fact that that Jesus tells us that you shouldn't divorce your spouse? And if you do and you remarry, you're committing adultery. Like, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, even then he doesn't command it. And what we know of the gospel about reconciliation and forgiveness would tell us that that divorce isn't the first option or the tenth option. So how how is the truth about divorce good news for us? It's good news because of what marriage points to and what not divorcing tells us about Jesus. Jesus' standard here of not divorcing tells us who he is and what his love is like. Jesus says in Matthew 5, even, I came to fulfill the law. I'm showing you the true intention of the law. All of this is written about me. And so this tells us that Jesus never, ever leaves or forsakes his bride. And in the same way, divorce leads to adultery because divorce, it betrays the truth about Christ and who he is. And that that truth that marriage is meant to display to the world. Jesus never, never, never is unfaithful to his bride. He never forsakes her. He never abandons her. He never abuses her. He is always patient and kind. He always pursues her. He always takes her back when she's wandering. He always cares for her and protects her and loves her and delights in her. And more than that, he takes on her filth and he takes on her sin as his own. And he makes her spotless and without blemish. And so whether you're married once or five times or never, if you repent and trust Christ and receive him as your treasure who bore your punishment and who's became your righteousness, you are part of that bride. And this is how Jesus now relates to you. Acts 10 tells us that everyone who believes in him and everyone who believes and trusts in him will receive the forgiveness of sins through his name. The radical call of Jesus not to divorce and remarry is a proclamation of the gospel by which people who have failed can be saved. And if Christ were not this way, we would all be lost and undone, wondering if Jesus is going to forsake us. But that's not who Jesus is. He is the faithful, loving husband who never forsakes his bride. And it shows how faithful he is, and it shows how forgiving he truly is. Friends, that's our hope. That is the gospel. Without that, if this text isn't there, 
We don't have this truth about Jesus displayed for us. His commands tell us something about who he is and about how much he loves us and how much he is pursuing us and how much he forgives us and how much he is faithful to us. So as we move into communion, we come remembering his faithfulness to us. We remember how faithful he was even to death on a cross. So we're going to have broken pieces of bread that that represent and remind us of the broken body of Christ that's broken on our behalf because of our sin. And we'll take it and we'll dip it in juice or wine, which which reminds us of the, the blood of Christ that has been poured out because of my unfaithfulness and because of your unfaithfulness. Because of our hardness of heart. And so... If you're you're not part of the bride, if you're not trusting Christ right now, I encourage you not to take communion, but take Christ this morning. He offers you forgiveness through his work that is accomplished and finished. And all all he requires is that you believe him, that you trust him, that you put your full confidence and hope in him. Jesus says, anyone who comes to me, I will never cast out. That's our hope, and that's good news this morning. So let's pray, let's remember the gospel this morning together. Lord Jesus, thank you that in your sovereign design and wisdom, you've given us marriage to remind us of how much you've loved us and pursued us and how faithful and good you are. And Lord, even in that, you recognize our sinfulness and you graciously reveal to us that we are sinful. And we know that things are not the way they're supposed to be. And so, Father, I pray that your grace would cover our sin and our unfaithfulness to you. Lord, would you protect the marriages and future marriages in this room? Would you not let Satan lie to us about marriage and divorce and what you tell us about it? Lord, would you, by your grace, help us to submit and to trust you, knowing that your word is good for us, Lord, would you keep the Axis Church from divorce? Father, would you heal our hurts and our pains? And Father, in and through those, would you remind us of the pain and the hurt and the sacrifice of Christ in the gospel, in paying for our sins and in paying for our brokenness. Father, thank you that we come and we remember what Christ has done for us. Thank you that you've given us this picture of your great love for us. 
as a way to, to spur us on to, to love you and to just marvel at how good and righteous and faithful you are to us. Lord, would you be at work? Would you have your will in our hearts? And would you save us from ourselves even now? Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for the gospel. We ask all this in, in Christ's name. Amen.